but we're really thankful for this next season of destiny. I just believe we're going into next level destiny. Who wants more? Who wants deeper? I, I want to go deeper. I don't even understand it all. I just want to go deeper. You know, what we do is we typically take our theological framework. Now, I want you to track me on this. We take our theological framework and we reduce God down to what we understand. And then we keep him in that box as best we can. How many know if you fully understand God, then you've made God way too small? And so God wants to enlarge the box and move us beyond the box. And so, Lord, we just invite you to have your way in our hearts, in our lives, in our minds. I pray, Father, that you would bless the reading of your word as we break bread in you and understand more of what that really looks like, what that really means, and how that truly nourishes us deep, deep, deep within our existence. I pray, Father, that today that we would have the sense that we truly have encountered God as a result of our gathering together. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. So, um, the scripture in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40, is interesting, and I keep referencing this to you. Um, even when I was praying through my message yesterday and then this morning, I would get to the verses, and then I would kind of skim the verses and get to the stuff that I'm trying to remember, the points and the ideas. And I just felt so deeply convicted by it. And I just stopped and went back and read slowly through the verses because the power is not in the man's ability to make the Word come to life. The power is in the Word itself. I really want to reiterate that, that we are all understanding just how important your your personal devotions are, your time alone in the Word, it awakens something supernatural in your life. How many believe that's true? I want us to gather like that, with that understanding, with that, not just that uh, understanding, but with that conviction. So since that, as we just in, explore what God wants to reveal in His Word today, Matthew 22, verse 37 and following, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. We focused a lot on that last week about what it is to love God from an intellectual uh, perspective. All of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. And then verse 38, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. So these are two very important truths that we're seeing in Scripture. If all of the law and all the prophets hang on these two truths, then it's pretty important that we learn how to truly love God and that we love others how? As we love ourselves. And so this has been the focus for us, uh, for us as we've walked through the course of the year. We are fully known by God. How many of you are glad you are fully known by God and fully loved by God? Even though he knows everything about us, he continues to love us. He who knows us the best loves us the most. It's been our whole focus, and I'm so grateful. I wake up every morning, and I rehearse that uh, with the song that sings that theme. It's part of my song list, and every year I do a song list that just I return to in the morning in my devotions, and, and we're fully known, we're fully loved by God. It's just tremendous. But I want you to understand, if you'll write it in your first blank, God who designed you, clearly communicates that loving yourself is a key that unlocks your love for others. Yes. Loving yourself is a key that unlocks your love for others. In fact, what we've explored and talked about in the course of this year is that the less we love ourselves, the more we judge others to medicate how we feel about ourselves. 
And that's a real problem uh, that has to be addressed. And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be addressed by trying to judge less, but actually by trying to love more. And then if you love yourself more, you'll find yourself loving others more, and then you will, as a result, judge less because you're dealing with the root of the problem and not just the symptom that's the expression of your life. Love yourself. So do you love yourself? It's, it's really a, a challenging question. Do you love yourself? What are some things you really do love about you? And uh, this week, you know, on our blog, we post our discussion questions, and I have those questions that you can kind of walk through if you're in a group that's meeting in the summertime. Maybe you do those questions, but if not, you can just get those and pull a few of them out around the dinner table this week and talk about some of what God's uh, desiring to reveal. But I, I thought about this from the standpoint, a guy from Louisiana told me uh, about crabbing one day. And he said that he would go crabbing, and, um, and he, he said, you can never go crabbing and uh, you just start with one crab in the bucket. Because one crab in a bucket will reach its claw up and get the rim of the bucket and crawl out of the bucket, and then you've lost your crab. And he said, what you always have to do is start with two crabs. And if you get two crabs in the bucket, they won't crawl out. Anybody know why? Because one will reach up and start to crawl out, but before it gets out, the other one reaches up and grabs it and pulls it down, trying to crawl out itself. And they then are stuck in the bucket because neither of them knows how to help the other out. And they're always trying to just get their own way. And what I've really come to resolve, even within my own life, um, the less I love myself, the more crabby I become. How many of you can relate? Uh, you know, honestly, it's the self-serving. Whenever, when I stop spending time alone with God, when I find myself neglecting time in the Word and time in prayer and time in worship on a personal level, I find myself becoming somewhat more negative. I talk about myself more. I'm, I'm less secure than what God designed me to be. I mean, all these things start coming out of me that never were, were intended by God to be born from a, a place that is void of God. We need Jesus in our lives, and we need him to awaken our love, not only for him, but for others, as we love ourselves, and something so healthy is born from that. What I'm saying is really significant. Do you, do you gather it? Like, it's really sad that some people, many people, have resolved that they either have to be spiritual or they have to be happy, but they can't be both. It's really sad that people have resolved that because the church in many respects and in many ways has tried to make people into something they're not, thinking that's the presentation of the gospel, that you've got to act a certain way. Listen carefully. The word act should not be a part of the expression of the gospel. It's not about acting at all. None of us should be acting. All of us should be honest and authentic about who we are. You'll never know what you're not until you know what, or you never know what you need until you know what you're not. And if you don't admit what you're not, then you don't know what you need. And we need to be honest about that. How many of you aren't very nice sometimes? Can I just say the gospel of Jesus Christ is admitting, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm not not very nice. Will you be nice through me? Lord, I'm sorry. I'm not very forgiving. Will you be forgiving through me? Lord, I'm sorry. I'm not very loving. Will you be loving through me? This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we've done in the body of Christ in many respects is we've tried to convince people to act like you're nice so that you represent God well. And that is not the gospel. 
What that does is fuel the fire of inadequacy that exists within every person in the room, giving birth to greater insecurity. And the body of Christ, in many respects, is walking around all these insecure people who do not know how to be authentic about who they are. And so I want to address this today, and I want you to try and see it today from a few different perspectives. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. In Adam there was death, but in Christ there was life. Well, let's examine something about the confidence that came from Jesus. Jesus knew who he was. You've got to understand, Jesus wasn't born immediately knowing who he was. He was tempted like you and I. In every respect that you and I have been tempted, Jesus was tempted. Have you ever read that verse in the Scripture? That means Jesus had to walk through and navigate through having a sense of confidence that was discovered in his relationship with the Father. You and I have to walk through that. How many of you are sons and daughters of God? Can I hear an Amen. We need to be confident in who we are in Christ. Jesus had to come into that revelation knowledge. You and I must come into that revelation knowledge and then dwell in that revelation knowledge. The Father keeping our attention, holding our affection so that things around us don't distract us by gaining our attention and captivating our affection. So so this is the, the element that I want you to get with this. Jesus knew who he was, and when they tried to make him king by force in John 6, he refused. Here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity. I got this job opportunity. Well, have you prayed about it? I met this guy. I met this girl. Well, have you asked the Lord if this is God's will? Because if you don't understand who you are, then your identity is subject to being hijacked by any opportunity that comes along. Jesus was, they offered to make him king. He refused. He wasn't going to allow them to do that by force. The devil tempted him with wealth and power in Matthew chapter 4. But he remained confident in his relationship with the Father, staying true to who he was. Listen very carefully. You and I live in a society that's very opportunistic, and you have been evangelized by the world perhaps more than you've been evangelized by the Word. And we take scriptures and we try and apply them to a contextual frame of reference that actually has been born from the culture in which we have grown up in. And God wants you to be inundated with the culture of the kingdom of God that's very counterintuitive to that which the world understands and believes. You and I are not of the world. We're in the world. We're not of the world. At the core of your existence is your identity. And if that is uncertain... Are you, are you hearing this? At the core of your existence is your identity. And if that is uncertain, any number of desires, interests, or pursuits can hijack your life. Anyone not fully surrendered to Christ embraces an identity that's rooted in something other than who you truly are. So today... I found this interesting and and amusing. I'm sure you will as well. But today, at the conclusion of the service, you're going to get to meet uh, a couple families come to our church now for uh, 
quite some time, and it's Kevin and Lindsay Judd, and they're row four right over here, and uh, really excited about you and your girls, and so thankful for the Judd family, and they're going to come close in just a bit in service today, but I want to tell you a little story about Lindsay, because Lindsay is kind of like a social media guru, and um, her, the stuff she posts cracks me up sometimes. I'm watching this and seeing what she's doing, and, and this was so funny. She was hanging out with her daughters a few weeks ago on a trip in New York City. Uh, daughters on the front row up here, um, probably horrified that I'm about to share this. And so they were in New York City, and they were hanging out and shopping. And how many of you know what Tiffany's is? It's like, it's a high-end store. If you shop at Tiffany's, you actually have to pull your, when you talk, you're supposed to, hi, I'm shopping at Tiffany's, okay? You have to understand that's the kind of store that they were in, walking through Tiffany's. And, and as they were walking through Tiffany's, the, um, the, 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 lady working there noticed Lindsay's earrings. And she probably said something like, hi, I love your earrings. And she said, specifically, this is what she posted online. She goes, are those earrings Kendra Scott? To which Lindsay replied, no, I got these at Walmart. <laughs> and here's a picture of the earrings. I just want you to see, because I thought, I thought it was just too good. So those are lovely earrings, Lens. I just want to say we love your earrings. Those are great. This is what I've learned about Kevin and Lindsay Judd. They are the real deal. They don't put on airs. They're not going to try and put on a presentation. Can I just say every one of us needs to grow in the understanding of what it is to be authentic, genuine people. And I, I want to celebrate because I believe there's something powerful when we come to that recognition of being authentic. And, um, and Lindsay, she teaches second grade at Pleasant Hill Elementary, the Middale School District here. And uh, there is a group of principals, teachers, and community leaders and parents that actually uh, selected 20 of the most impactful new teachers to the public school system in the state of Oklahoma, and in the entire state, our very own Lindsay was selected in that group of 20, and here's that shot of those 20 teachers. So congratulations to you. And I have to say, we're really proud of you. It's great. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, this is a book of the Bible being written to Christians that lived in a city called Ephesus that actually is one of the most resembling communities, culture, to what you and I live in. You have to understand this is amazing what Paul's saying here. He's not writing this to a group of pastors. He's not writing this to a group of hyper-apostles. He's writing this to a group of Christians. Everybody say Christians. This is normal Christianity. Normal. Like, not, we're not talking about accelerated advanced Christians here. We're talking normal, like all of us that attend this church, right? Normal Christians, right? So understand that. He said, what? I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have. I want everybody in the room to say this with me. I am called by God. Let's say it. 
I am called by God. Raise your hand if you have a call from God. Can I just see? I, I venture to say, had I not led you into that and I asked, raise your hand if you're called by God, there would be many of you that just raised your hand that would not have raised your hand because you did not understand what I'm trying to say. There's not a person in the kingdom that doesn't have a call from God on their life. You are called by God. It's interesting, I just this last week was looking at this idea, we've talked about it a lot, um, you know, your job is what you're paid to do, your work is what you're born to do, um, and, and we, again, we live in a society that's so inundated us that we have exchanged the significance of our existence for the pursuit of money, and, and we don't even realize that we've done that. But like we're looking for the opportunity to make money, and that then holds hostage, okay, then if, if I have this opportunity to make money, then that's what I really ought to do. But you need to understand something. The word vocation actually comes from the origin uh, of, the, I'm sorry, the origin of the word vocation is the same origin as the word call. Isn't that interesting? So like your vocation is actually your call. So I, my vocation is as a pastor, I stand up here and I talk to you and we do pastoral things as a team and that's my vocation, so that is my call. But as a teacher that works at Pleasant Hill Elementary, that vocation is a call. For as a banker who works at a bank, that vocation is their call. Whatever your vocation is, do you understand that's your call? The people that have been entrusted to your care in the workplace in which you work actually are people that you're supposed to be ministering to and sharing the love and the life of Christ in the frame work in context that actually fits for the way you're supposed to do it. Now, you probably are not going to rally your co-workers together in a room like this and stand up and say, today, I'm going to preach to you, and I'm going to spit. Hallelujah. You're probably not going to do that in that context, because that doesn't fit that framework. You have to understand your call. You're called by God. And the framework in which you are called actually is defined by the vocation that you have responded to. And maybe some of you in the room are hearing this and you actually need to change your vocation because you realize you've allowed the pursuit of money to determine the avenues which you have walked down and you didn't even ask God for his input or advice. You need to pray about what you invest your life in. A lot of people come to the end of the day having given everything that they have to somebody else's dream, never ever discovering what their own dreams are. Amen, pastor. You preach it. Thank you, young man with a new haircut. I love you. <laughs> Lexi does not like the shave buzz look, by the way, just so you know. Um, praying for her. I mean, you know, over the course of time, sometimes your options get very limited. That's kind of where I am here. <laughs> so anyway, you're called by God. All right, you're called by God. And then this goes on, this Ephesians 4 is so phenomenal. It goes on and says, verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. How many of you are called by God? Say amen. amen. How many of you are gifted by God? Say amen. amen. 
You're called and you're gifted. You need to hear me say this. God's call comes with uniquely significant gifts. Your life is precisely equipped with the exact strengths and experiences that your dreams require. Stop dwelling on what you don't have. I don't know if you know this or not, but God never uses what we don't have, and He always uses what we do have, and what we do have rarely resembles the result of what comes when we give Him what we have in our hand. Well, when I get more money, I'm going to give. No, you won't. You've you got to get faithful with right where you are. Listen, you and I, I know people sometimes get a little nervy if I ever, you know, it's a pastor talking about money. Can, can I just say, there's some people who say, Pastor, are you saying that we should honor God with our giving and our worship in a way that we bring money into the church that becomes a broadened expression of the kingdom of God so that people in the world are coming to know Christ and we're leaving the world a better place with, by the way we use our lives and our resources? Yes, I am. That's what I'm saying. I want you to know that's exactly what what I'm saying. We're very accountable in our approach of the expression of all the resources that are entrusted to our care, and we want to see the kingdom of God expand. You are called. You are gifted. Come on, let's change the world. You and I are custom built by God, and that's why I want to challenge you in this perspective that's probably going to be like a breath of fresh air for many of you in the room sharing with you this word called syncopation. This is a word Chrissy introduced me to, and I had to kind of look into what this word means. It describes actually pretty well our relationship and the way we function together on our pastoral team. And then Lexi helped me understand syncopation from an entirely different perspective, which I want to present to you today. But let me lay out a, a basic understanding of syncopation. Syncopation is commonly a musical term. If you're a musician, you probably have heard this term. Uh, but syncopation challenges the common grid with unconventional, unexpected elements. Anybody here feel unconventional in the church? Can I just see? Uh, I just want to introduce you to syncopation. That perhaps is who you are. And if everybody only focuses on the conventional elements and we never make room for anybody to syncopate, then actually those who bring uh, incredible adventure and life and, and expression and expansion to the body of Christ can kind of feel shut out and marginalized and like there's no place for them. There's a place for you in the body of Christ. You're called by God, you're gifted by God, and your gift is to be a blessing to your world. In literature, syncopation is humor. It takes us beyond the expected script by introducing the element of surprise. So Faith and I were on a daddy-daughter lunch date, and we were talking about this concept, syncopation, and, and we were actually at, at IHOP, and, um, and, and she ordered a ham sandwich, and she said, Dad, this is like the best ham sandwich ever. And so I said, how many of you know this phrase, winner, winner, chicken dinner, right? But what I said was, winner, winner, ham sandwich. <laughs> and you know why you chuckle? Syncopation. It was the unexpected added into the line that you didn't see coming. 
So we're driving home after this, and, and we're still talking about this concept, and we go to the, there's an entrance to our neighborhood, and, and I know she's expecting me to turn. How many of you know when the car is expected to turn, you kind of have a feeling, a sense of momentum, you're ready to, to momentum, you know, move with the car. And so I just drive right past the entrance, and she's like, what are we doing? That, you missed the turn. And I said, syncopation. It was the unexpected. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of you are the unexpected element of the body of Christ. Some of you need endorsement to not be so conventional in the framework of who you are. We need you. We need you to syncopate us. Come on, let's all clap that in. Let's all declare it in Jesus' name. There's room in the body of Christ for every person. There are some real weirdos in the body of Christ. I'm glad you're here. In music, syncopation is the false stop that actually doesn't stop and then continues going in your unexpected, uh, you know, it's an unexpected element in the song that kind of brings the song to a, a greater value and appreciation in the listener's ear and attention. Such an important thing. And, and this, is, this is a powerful statement. This is worth your social media posts right here. Our deficiencies managed correctly drive us to discover and value the genius in the lives of other people. Listen, we don't have it all figured out. And God has gifted every person. So we need to discover what that is in the lives of those around us. And I just, this goes deep for me. And it goes deep because my baby girl, I felt like almost became the carnage of a life of ministry. And what I mean by that is Lexi struggled to find her value because she looked so different than Tracy, Faith, and I look in ministry. And at the end of the school year, in one of her classes right here at Destiny Christian School, she just graduated as a senior, at the end of the school year, one of her projects was she was to make a video. She came to me and she said, Dad, I have to do a five-minute video. And I'm like, I've got an idea. I'll film. You can talk. She said, stop. I don't do that. What she was saying was, don't make me you, let me be me. And what she came up with in the last two weeks while we've been traveling across England in a variety of forums of leaders and pastors, and there are many of them that actually lead and oversee national ministry expressions, this has been the message I've brought into those leadership forums, and many of those came to her and to me afterward and said, can I take this video and show it in a variety of forums to help train and equip leaders to be effective at helping people know who they are? And I want to share that video with you. When I was first given this assignment, I had no idea what to do. But then Coach Jones gave the seniors a challenge. What message do we want to leave our school with? When I heard his challenge, I realized I had never told anyone my testimony before. I have grown up in the church and I come from a family of pastors. My sister actually wants to be a doctor and a pastor. That's not what I want to do though. 
If you know my family, then you would have noticed that I am very different from the rest of them. My family is all very extroverted, and I'm an introvert. I love to draw, and I'm very artsy. When we would be in church on Sunday, my dad would, of course, be on stage. My mom and sister would also sometimes be on stage praying over people. And my sister also plays the piano for the worship team. I would be in the crowd and kind of feel like, now what do I do? I felt like I wasn't really impacting people like they were. I was in the crowd feeling like God couldn't use me because I wasn't on a stage. I also felt like they were the ones who were constantly hearing God. It was almost like they were in this super secret club with God that they weren't telling me about. I didn't understand why it seemed like God only talked to them instead of me. Was I broken? Was I not praying hard enough? Why won't God talk to me? I was trying to hear him, but God seemed to be mute. It was like how some people say they're going through a dry season in their faith. Except it was like I was going through a dry 16 years. It almost felt like I was living in a bubble, and I was watching everyone around me experience and hear God. The only other way I know how to explain my experience is this. Imagine you're at a concert with your friends and family. You can see that they are all experiencing something so amazing, and they're all talking about how amazing the concert is. You see all of this happening around you, and you so desperately want to experience it too. But it's almost like you're in a soundproof bubble, and no matter how hard you try, you can't hear what they're hearing or feel what they're feeling. You are still stuck in your little soundproof bubble. November of 2017, my family was on a ministry trip, and as usual, I was still stuck in my bubble, and God was still silent, or so I thought. That entire trip, different things would happen where I would get separated from my family, not like I would get lost in the crowd, but when we were walking, there would only be room for the three of them on the sidewalk, and I would end up walking behind or in front of them. Other times we would go out to eat with friends, and I would end up on the other side of the table from my mom, dad, and sister. I began to notice this happening, so I pointed it out to my dad. He told me that maybe God was trying to tell me something, but after 16 years of what seemed like only hearing God maybe four times, it seemed impossible that God was trying to talk to me. But it turns out, he was. I don't remember how it happened exactly, but I do remember that we were in the middle of worship. I had this moment where I suddenly heard God talking to me. It was amazing. It was like my soundproof bubble had been popped. I could finally experience the concert that I had watched everyone else get to experience for the past 16 years of my life. I heard and felt everything around me in a completely different way. Even the music sounded different. In that moment, God was telling me that I needed to stop comparing myself to my family. He created me for my own purpose, and I should be comfortable in who he created me to be. I had been comparing my family's speaking gifts with my artistic gifts, thinking that I couldn't impact people with my art.
I realized that when I stepped into who God created me to be and I was comfortable with it, I found who I was in Him. This journey hasn't been easy. I still battle the spirit of comparison in my life. But when I catch myself comparing my gifts with other people's gifts, I remind myself of the four words that God spoke to me that night that will forever define my life. Those words were, stay in your lane. That's great. <clears throat> great job, Lexi. I'm going to ask if Lexi will come and speak for about 15 minutes on. <laughs> I, I just, it is so important for us to understand this. God's way of getting it all done, all that he wants to have done in the world is to give every person a different passion that produces a different perspective. Stop minimizing your gifts just because they don't look like someone else. God made you uniquely you. He, he, I, don't, I mean, he made you and only you as the one you he made. You, you understand? Like, there's nobody like you that God made, and he made you on purpose. So I want you to help me. Just look at your neighbor, and I want you to say, Neighbor, when God made you, he said, I'll never do that again. That is biblically sound and theologically correct. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet? <laughs> I just feel the Lord's just wanting us to take in a just a fresh breath of inspiration from Him. You've, some of you in this room have um, resolved in times past that you've not measured up and today the enemy has been exposed in your life telling you that lie love others as you love yourself you can't love somebody if you don't know them and only God can introduce you to the you he created you to be so stop trying to be the person other people want you to be stop trying to be the person maybe you feel compelled you should be and just embrace who God created you to be so, Lord, I just pray that in this room you would help us to surrender to your design, your plan, your purpose. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. If you've been disqualifying yourself because maybe you don't look like others, then I want you to lift both your hands. I just want to break that off of you right now. Supernaturally in these moments together. Lord, let that self-disqualification be broken off of our lives. Lord, every person who is lifting their hands right now, may they raise their hands in a posture of faith. A champion spirit would come upon them to be true to who you have designed them to be. In Jesus' name, we acknowledge Jesus, you are Lord. You're not just a good teacher. You're not just a, a, a positive figure in history. You are the Savior of the world. You came and rescued all of us from our sin to redeem our lives because of the cross of Jesus Christ. You died so that we could live, and we embrace that today. Come on, if that's your prayer and declaration, why don't you celebrate this Jesus who came as the Messiah to redeem your life, to restore you, to awaken who he has called you to be.